On today's episode, we talk about how you can navigate the generational shifts that are happening in housing and in construction. This includes multifamily, includes housing, and we're speaking directly with a designer, specifically an interior designer, who works with many developers and builders on what products are going into the multifamily developments that they're working on. It's a great episode filled with information about how you can understand what different audiences and generations need from manufacturers, how you can build strong relationships with developers and designers, and then ultimately what types of marketing activities work to reach these different audiences. It's jam-packed with information. It's going to be great. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best. Salesperson, I am Zach Williams, joined by my co-host, Beth Popnikolov. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We are really excited to welcome Brooke Collins. She is a regional manager for Florida for the company Builders Design. She has an interesting foot in two worlds of multifamily construction, builders, and interior design, keeping a pulse on trends. I don't want to give too much away, Brooke, but we are really excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Why don't we tell our listeners a bit about Builders Design and what your role is there? Sure. So Builders Design is an interior design firm. We are national, um, but as Beth said, I do focus on Florida. Um, And we work with builders and developers on the interiors, you know, interior design from conception of a project to final completion. And on our model home side, we work with builders to design the, the model homes, do model merchandising. And on the multifamily side, working with developers and, you know, architects and the whole team to kind of create, you know, the project from that land development stage all the way through schematic and programming and into design development and then that final installation. What is the average size of a building that you do, whether it's multifamily or model homes? Yeah. So we, for our model home division, the, the model home parks, I mean, you know, it could be different uh, builders do different amounts of models in certain areas. Multifamily, a typical project, it really, really runs the gamut because we'll devalue add properties that are, you know, old 70s garden style um, where we go in and renovate it. And then we also do um, luxury high rises in Miami. So that, you know, a typical size of a project really, you know, like I said, we don't really have one, but I would say around 300 units is probably average for a multifamily project. And you primarily work with a developer or builder, is that correct? Yep. Okay. And so, you know, what I'm curious to get your take on is, I mean, obviously we want to hear like, what is popular? Like, where is the industry going? But maybe from a high level standpoint, I'd love to hear from your perspective about how you see multifamily changing, like how has things shifted over the last year or so? And then what does that mean to companies in the building products and construction space? That was a loaded question. <laughs> it is, right? It really is, right? Well, I think, well, and I'm, I'm trying to tee this up because, you know, one thing I were, you and I were talking about before the show, or I think when we were talking about having you come on was, you know, there's a lot of question marks around the viability and long-term success of multifamily. Yeah. And you're like, you're basically like, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> like, you know, everything from what you see is that the industry is still continuing to grow. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're seeing. And then we could talk a little about design trends yeah. as it relates to what you do. 
Sure. And I mean, with multifamily, so last year, of course, 2020, you know, that year, it seems like 2020 is continuing this year. So that uh, year. Going. Yep. <laughs> uh, the infamous year of 2020. But you know, with the pandemic, it was really unexpected. No one knew what was going to happen. And in the multifamily space, we were really lucky that construction continued and that, you know, although I think management companies did have some issues with people, you know, not being able to pay their rents and having to close amenities and things like that. Overall, construction in multifamily didn't really slow down. So it was great. And I don't think, you know, what the trends are showing, I don't foresee that that um, is going to change moving forward. You know, people are always going to need places to rent. And I think the trends are even showing that, especially with millennials and Gen Zs, you know, these younger younger cohorts that aren't necessarily looking for commitment, they're not necessarily looking to buy a home, but more so open to that idea of renting. And I think that's why we're seeing in the multifamily space, this single family rental home becoming a huge trend. I just, I really do believe that it is going to continue to trend forward because it gives people that flexibility of not locking down a commitment to be in a home, to be in one place, but you know, the ability to rent and, you know, have that flexibility and, and changes with it's it's interesting when we look at millennials how different the younger millennial is from the older millennial but ultimately you know still wanting that same thing not necessarily older generations were more likely to stay in the same place you know their hometown was where they stayed and raised their family and now we're seeing millennials moving all over the place Beth and I were just talking about I'm from Virginia originally I'm in Florida now and she's from Florida and she's up in Virginia so I think people are just you know renting is so much more flexible that the multifamily market is expected to stay trending really high. Brooke, could you give us a peek into the process that you go through for builder's design? So before we started recording, one of the things we talked about is like, you guys even keep a pulse on trend. So if you could go like all the way back and give us like a 30,000 foot view of what your process looks like down into sourcing materials and styling spaces. Yeah, yeah. So typically, um, we'll start a project, ideally from when they're working on schematics design and help kind of brand that project and determine what the vision is. So what working with the client and developer, you know, what are they looking to achieve in this process? We always tour the comps in the area to see what others have done, what has been successful. Um, so we get that boots on the ground research. And then we take our global trend research that we have with our partnership they're a trends forecasting company and look at the amenity spaces that are trending, you know, knowing that going into this project, are we targeting millennials? Are we targeting, you know, more of a family buyer, 55 plus, who's the buyer? And, um, you know, we can then look at what amenities appeal to them. So is it with uh, 55 plus, it's a lot about luxury fitness centers become more like a, a health club and a spa type feel. And then, you know, millennials love the pool and the entertainment aspect. But then even some, some really unique amenities that are trending with the, the whole more people are working from home now. You know, we've seen these like outdoor pods. I don't know if y'all are familiar with them, but they're like pods where you can work outside and even different kind of like technology and sanitation. So just going in and really figuring out, you know, what amenities are popular, what amenities are going to work in that particular project. And that kind of leads us into the, like the programming phase where we are laying out how spaces are going to work inside that building. And then we'll put together kind of like a mood board and say, you know, for this project, we're envisioning the style to go this direction. And then from there, moving into design development, where we're selecting all of the finishes. So 
you know, our flooring, our paint colors, our ceiling treatments, our lighting, all the design elements of the project. And then from there, we move into CDs where we are specifying all the products and we are drawing the elevations and the section details for the contractor to begin the build. And simultaneously, while the, the contractor begins their process of specking everything out and pricing and stuff, they'll likely come back to us to value engineer as <laughs> part of the process. That, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Every manufacturer listening, their ears just perked up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not a designer's favorite part of the process, but inevitable. And so we, we work through that to get the CDs to 100%. And then we'll do furniture as kind of our our last part of the design process, specifying the furniture. And then when we get ready for installation, we order everything procured in-house. It gets shipped to our warehouse. Then we deliver and install the final product. What I think is really cool is you're getting some pretty interesting data, Brooke. But you said it was both global and national. Is that right? Correct. Yep. And then from there, you're selecting, you know, obviously you're thinking about layout. You're thinking about the space. And that's translating into the products and materials that you specify. How are you finding out about new products? Like, what does your personal research process look like? So it's kind of changed because historically, we've always gone to like the International Builder Show, SCBC, you know, different conferences where they have trades and products and we're able to see and feel things live. A lot of stuff has gone virtual, which still gives us you know, we're still able to see things, but it's so different virtual versus actually physically seeing the product. Did you go to IBS virtual? Did you do it? I did not, but people on our team did. Okay. What was it? What was the response? Can I put you on the spot? I think there was some really good informational seminars still okay. to get that, that content. So I think that was still good. I don't, I didn't hear anything about kind of like the products and if people were able to to still get that kind of information. Okay. But as far as like the educational seminars, I think it was still very helpful. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. I was just very no, curious no to know if you, if you joined it. So you typically go to trade shows, you know, you mentioned IBS and a few others. How have things shifted? Um, so now everything's virtual. We have within our company librarians who kind of introduce us um, to new products and we'll, you know, with our vendors set up virtual seminars. And I think there's some companies that are doing like trunk shows or trying to get people, you know, out into physical spaces to be able to see products. I think on the product side, those vendors are having to be innovative to how do we still get our product out there. So things are shifting and it is hard to continuously get new product information, right? But another thing that's really helpful for me is I always go and tour properties whenever I can, any kind of new developments or, you know, things that I've read about or heard about getting out there and just seeing the products and, you know, seeing what the tags are on things or asking, you know, certain questions like that. What about social media and online? Are you using any kind of tools there? If I think about like interior designers, a lot of them we talk to are like, oh, I just live on Pinterest or I live on Instagram. Are you finding products there as well? Or is there any other tools that you're using to find out new products and other platforms? So Pinterest, I mean, I'm on Pinterest every day, but as far as products, I don't think that's necessarily where I find products. I will say Instagram though. I do find a lot on Instagram. And that could be because of, you know, I'm a millennial and that is my preferred social media platform. So maybe that's why that's my answer. But I do think Instagram definitely has those 
those products and even following different designers or different developers on Instagram, they tend to tag things a lot where Pinterest is more conceptual. So you get great ideas, but then you have to go find those products and source those products where Instagram, you get more of that direct information. Do you have a favorite designer on Instagram? Um, that's a good question myself, but other than there that, you go. <laughs> good answer, good answer, good answer. <laughs> I have, I do have a couple of accounts that I really like. So, well, everyone knows of Studio McGee. They've obviously blown up, but they really do have gorgeous stuff. That, mm-hmm. that is totally my style, that kind of natural and um, textural, you know, neutral. I love that look. So they're definitely one of my favorites. And yeah, it's hard to just like think off the, the top of my head. I know I'm putting on the spot, right? Yeah. <laughs> I really like pure salt interiors. They're based out of mm. California, but just have really. Oh yeah. I really like yeah, that. Yeah. Really pretty. Love that. Can I ask you, Brooke, what do manufacturers do? Like, I'm going to explain my question for a minute because I want you to think about it from this angle. Like you are spending all day on Instagram and you're sourcing products and spending time at trade shows, whether virtual or otherwise you're doing online trainings, you're going to trunk shows, you're talking to peers, like through all of that noise, what do manufacturers do that catches your attention to make you feel like this is a product that doesn't just meet the trend? Cause there's And for every trend, there's a hundred products that could fit the profile, but that makes you feel confident and putting it in the spec. Yeah. So, well, like we talked about earlier with value engineering, it really does always come down to budget. So if a product has a really competitive price point, that's great. If there's a value add to it. So if it's flooring that has some kind of acoustical property to it, that makes it, you know, being a little bit more expensive, totally worth it. You know, acoustics in apartment buildings are huge. The, my neighbors above me are so loud and I wish my floor had like some underlayment to it. <laughs> so if there's that, or if it's, you know, eco-friendly, if there's something, you know, that it's environmentally friendly or giving back, um, a lot of companies will maybe donate money to, you know, helping the environment. I think that's going to be really important, especially with Gen Z coming up, because that means so much to them. They're not brand conscious at all. But if things are, you know, giving back to the environment, that's going to be something. They have a story. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be something that they're looking for. Millennials are very focused on maintenance, how easy things are to, you know, they live these 24 seven active lifestyles are constantly on the go. What's going to be easy for them to maintain. And there's certain, you know, materials that are just super easy. So that's big. And I think just visually products that offer that wow because the multifamily market is saturated and you know there's a lot of product and not necessarily enough that differentiates itself from other properties so if you can have that really you know if it's one material or something that you're just like wow then i think that you know we can typically get developers to buy into something that might be you know a little bit more expensive but if it's going to offer that really impressive wow differentiator then you know that's something we definitely love to do can you give me an example of any of that? Like, can you give me an example of a product that you fought for recently that you thought you're like, Hey, this is a really good idea. I want to try to advocate for it. So yeah, I think as far as inside the units go doing a quartz countertop that extends up to the backsplash instead of doing a typical tile backsplash, but having the quartz. Love that. 
more expensive. It's definitely on trend, but it's also easier to clean and maintain. You know, you wipe down just a solid surface versus the grout lines and typically what you would have in a tile backsplash. So that's something. I think tile too, if you're familiar with Tile Bar, they have really great, amazing products that are just... They differ continuously. You know, I get emails from them and they're probably one of the vendors that I actually look at their emails because they're just so visually stimulating and the tiles are just continuously, you know, breaking that, the norm of what we typically see in tiles. So, and they're competitively priced, which is also great. I saw Tile Bar a few years ago at BDNY. That's how I discovered them. Did you you ever go to BDNY? I have not. It's a great show, especially for interior design. And you're absolutely right. Like everything about their design is like pretty on point. Oh, granted, they make tile. Mm-hmm. And if like you're a drywall company, you're like, I can't make tile. I'm a drywall company. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, you know, I think that's, you know, they do a great job at inspiration as well as getting you to think about things differently, you know? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And it's like, it's constantly, it doesn't just look like tile. They do things that are wood look or have like a geometric pattern mm-hmm. to it. It's just, it, they, they do a really great job. So Brooke, one thing I want to ask you is we've got to talk about value engineering. It's like a blessing and a curse in the building materials world, depending on which side of the fence you're pricing land, you love it or hate it. So when the contractor or the builder comes back to you and says like, Hey, you know, we've spent more budget on whatever electrical than we anticipated. So we've got to rework some of the pieces that you have recommended in the spec What does it look like for you? What does it take for you to fight? What are you fighting for? And what are you like, yeah, sure, you can change these guys out. What does that process look for? And because ultimately, our listeners are manufacturers. What I want us to be able to get out of this is like, if you're a manufacturer, if you want me to fight for you in the spec, I need to have this from you. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I kind of alluded to before, value engineering is the worst part of a designer's job. I mean, you know, no one likes it. It's tough and it's really time consuming. So I think when we're working with manufacturers, having a really great relationship with the design team is really important. If a manufacturer can work with us, if we do have to value engineer, they're the ones that know the most about their product. Ultimately, we're going for something that's functional and looks good. So if manufacturers were able to say, kind of almost tell us like, look, you know, if you keep this here, we can do this not as expensive product in these areas where, you know, it's still, it's not going to affect the functionality of it. And, you know, a designer, we're thinking, you know, okay, this is the money shot. This is what, where we want that wow moment to be. So like, I think it needs to be a team effort where a lot of times manufacturers are just providing specs and kind of like making the designer make those calls when really they're so knowledgeable about their own product that having that relationship and kind of, you know, working together to come to a solution so that we're still getting quality materials that look good, but meeting the budget of the developer and of the the contractor's budget, being able to to work directly with a vendor to ultimately come up with a solution together would be ideal for us. I mean, we just have to say it's like yet another person talking about the importance of the sales rep, basically. Exactly. It's so true. It's great. Brooke, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. For those people who want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email. If you want to email me, bcollins at buildersdesign.com. That is totally fine. Excellent. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for our listeners, if you want more great content like this, go to venvio.com slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. 